Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that we don't own anything. You own it all. It kind of relieves us from the burden and pressure, but it also gives us a responsibility factor that we want to be faithful in. So as you have brought your servant, Jim, here to share with us, um, he's prepared material through the Spirit's uh, direction. But Father, if there's something else you want him to share, bring it to his mind. And may this just be your, your seminar here. But use your servant, teach us, and help us not to just uh, get head knowledge from this, but help us to get some practical stuff that we can apply and be faithful to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. All right, thanks, Joel. Um, the session is called Managing Money for the Long Run, and Long Run, an Iron Man's Guide to Financial Prosperity. And here's the reason for the title. Um, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about what it means to be an Iron Man. And if you look back to the Bible, the Bible often talks about the analogy between the spiritual life and running. Paul uses that a lot. And I figured if it's good enough for Paul to use spiritually, it's probably good enough for us to understand some of the concepts financially, what makes you successful to do some things with an Ironman triathlon, even what that is, can relate very specifically to what we're doing uh, in finances. So we'll be speaking uh, about that a little bit. But just real quick, my background. Um, I'm actually a native of Michigan. I was born in Battle Creek. Um, came to Michigan camp. How many of you here came to Michigan camp meeting back at, at uh, Grand Ledge? All right. Which is like the classic, right? That's, uh, that's where we all, uh, all have our great memories. Um, grew up uh, sometime around the age of eight. Uh, and I don't know how my mom did this. She, uh, we came home from school and she talked to my older sister and I. She was 10, I was eight. She said, hey, guess what, you guys? I got you a paper route. And she was all excited. And I was only eight, so I guess I should be excited too. And uh, so my sister and I had a paper route. Um, and I, know, I still know how she did it because the, uh, the rule was you had to be 12 to actually have a paper route because of labor laws. My mom got us in at, at the ages of 8 and 10. And so uh, four days a week we were delivering newspapers. Uh, and that was a source of income to my sister and I. Eventually my younger sister got, got one as well. And as all of us have kind of an ebb and flow financially in our life, the same thing happened in our family. And, and uh, for a couple of years, that money that my sister and I were making, we would buy our own clothes. If we wanted to go to summer camp, we would, uh, we would save up for a year and go to summer camp. I remember my mom, when we were first getting started, she, had, she, she took little um, canning jars, put a label on them. And I had my tithe jar, and I had my savings jar, and I had my clothes jar, and I had gift all that kind of stuff from the age of eight. I'm so thankful for, for that, uh, that training. Um, I had a paper out until I was 14. And then I started uh, high school or academy. I went to Blue Mountain Academy. Uh, we're, my, my, the commitment that my parents had to Adventist education, we actually lived there because it was going to be cheaper to be a, a village student than a dorm student. And I paid my way through academy. And when I was done with academy, I went to Andrews University. Um, at Andrews University, I had the benefit of my mom working for the conference, so I got you know, uh, somewhat of a subsidy for the tuition, but paid my way through college. And I got done with college, I had a, a, a business major, and I kept thinking, what am I going to do? I've been working for so many years that I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I thought, well, you know, I do a lot with money, personally, so maybe I should try a career in the area of financial planning. And so I, I worked for a firm for about a year, 
Took me about three months, and then I realized that pretty much every solution, the only solution I had to everyone's financial issues was selling them a whole life insurance policy. And so I realized that maybe I'm not a financial planner, I'm actually a life insurance salesman. And I went from that to working at a brokerage firm for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, I won't go through all the details, but I ha I've had the opportunity to work in the area of retirement plans, the, the largest plan that I've been part of. Actually, it was one of the retirement plans for Altacore, which is Amway. Uh, I've worked with plans as small as just one person. Um, I served for five years with J.P. Morgan and their private bank as a fiduciary officer, which is a handling trusts. Uh, and most recently, and there's a couple other things in between there, but more recently, my current job for the last six years is I'm the chief investment officer for a small investment advisory firm in Grand Haven, which is the greatest career I've had in my whole life. Absolutely love it. So when I think back, whether it's professionally or personal experience, or just as importantly, just observing what's happened in other people's lives. Because by the way, we can learn two ways. We can learn from our mistakes, or we can learn from other people's mistakes. I like learning from other people's mistakes a lot better. Um, and hopefully you do too. But just the, the life experiences of watching and observing my own personal experience and what I've done professionally, uh, I want to bring that to us today and put that in the context of what God is asking us to do with money. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about a couple of things here. Um, let me make sure I got the right one here, Gene. Um, let's start with this, what is an Ironman? Because that's, that's kind of key to what we're going to be talking about this week. An Ironman started back in, actually it's 40 years ago. John Collins decided to put together a, uh, a uh, event because they were trying to figure out who's the best athlete. Is it a swimmer? Is it a biker? Is it a runner? And out in Hawaii, they had three races, significant races. They said, let's put those all together. One race, one day, whoever wins, they're the best athlete. And we'll answer this question once and for all, who's the best athlete, swimmer, runner, biker? So John Collins, who was a, a Navy officer, he put this together, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, run 26.2 miles, brag for the rest of your life. And an Ironman is considered the mo one of the most difficult one-day endurance events in the world. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because I had the opportunity to do that last year. And it was an amazing experience. And one of the things we're going to talk about is the fact that when I share with people you know, that I did that, they're like, wow, that's phenomenal. I could never do that. And I, I think later, I've talked to my wife Sarah about this, they're probably right. And the reason is because they've already told themselves I can't do it. And how often do we have that same attitude with money? I could never be rich. I could never do that. And we've already set ourselves up to fail. And that's why I want to talk today specifically about what we're doing with our mind. Because unless we get the mind right, the rest of the stuff that we talk about this week is somewhat irrelevant. So with that, I'm just going to share with you, uh, I'm going to play this video. Um, which will give you a, just a little flavor of what it's like to do an Ironman triathlon. And hopefully you can hear this. All right, so that's, um, that's just a little bit what that experience is like. And one of the things that you may notice is that a lot of the people that were doing that event had some form of something that was inhibiting them, something that they could have used as an excuse, right? Hey, I've got no legs. I can't do an Ironman. Um, the one that I'm the most impressed with in all of that is the guy that was pushing his son. Was that something? I've seen that in other races where uh, 
you know, you see a dad um, swimming, towing a kayak with his son or daughter in there, or, or running at the end, or, or, or biking with, with the carriage behind. Just amazing. That, that to me is more inspiring than however fast someone can run. Um, but the idea is that when you're actually at the event, by the way, most of these people, when you look at them, they look like athletes, right? You'd be amazed how many people are doing an Ironman, and when you, when you see them, you think, they don't look like a stereotypical athlete. And it's really embarrassing when, I shouldn't say embarrassing, but you know, you're biking along or whatever, and, and everyone has a, a mark on their leg that says their age. So you know, you know, if there's someone, some guy that's 31 years old and I'm biking, I'm passing this 31-year-old. And then some 70-year-old lady passes me. All right. <laughs> so the point is we can't judge by what we normally categorize. And so I want to encourage you. The point of this video is that right at the end it said anything's possible. We have to get to the mindset that managing with money is possible. We can't use the excuse, I don't know very much. Uh, this isn't something that I'm good at. I'm not good with numbers. I don't know if you've heard people that talk uh, about that. The reality is that we all have the ability. If people, most of the people that do these events, myself included, at one point couldn't run from their door to the end of the driveway. And they simply made a decision, I'm going to do what it takes. Um, and so I want to encourage us as we're going through there to have the right mindset. By the way, you know, getting back to this, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112, run 26, break for the rest of your life. When you're actually doing it, sometimes it feels more like the pictures at the bottom, all right? Um, not everything goes right all the time. Um, so let's talk about this. This is what we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, today we're going to start with it all starts with the right attitude. We're going to talk about attitude. I'm going to change that just a little bit. Uh, confirming truths, debunking myths about money. I'm going to add something else that I think is really important based on a meeting I was at last week. Tuesday, keeping track of the things that count, the real reason for us to budget and how to do it right. Number three on Wednesday, laying aside the extra weight. Practical ways to reduce, avoid, eliminate your debt so it won't slow you down. Thursday, going further on less effort, increasing your efficiency by making investments work for you. And then Friday, um, uh, we're really going to be talking with Vern here, leaving it all on the field, how to transition your wealth when you have finished the race. And all those, we're going to start with an analogy of, of what it's like when we're actually doing an Ironman. And something practical that I've learned from that that we can apply to our financial life. So let's get started with this. I'm going to hand out a couple of things. Um, hopefully you guys brought some pens. But we're going to start with this. Very important that as we're going through this, that we use a biblical perspective. Because there is a worldly perspective on wealth that I believe in the long run does not work. Whether it makes us rich or not today, the point of wealth is not necessarily just to make us rich. And so I want to talk about what the Bible has to say uh, about wealth. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to participate with me. You may know the answers to these already. Let's start with the first verse there, Revelation 22:13. I am the Alpha and Omega, the, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's important because as we're going through this seminar this week, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, is going to be Jesus. And what does he have to say about money? There's a lot of things that we're going to use that are practical, real-world um, uh, solutions, but we want this all in the context of Jesus. And one of the first things we need to understand is sometimes as Christians we think this, God doesn't want me to be wealthy. 
We're going to talk about God's attitude about money here in just a minute. God, does, God wants me to suffer. Now, I will tell you that God does put us in positions where we suffer at times. Financial can be one of them. But I want to tell you what the Bible says, 1 John 1, 2. And you guys may know this already. You may not have to look up. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God wants us to prosper. That's His will. Now again, we may make decisions that take us away from that. Very possible. God may say we need to learn something, and so for a time He may withdraw that. But God's ultimate will for us is that we prosper. And that includes financial prosperity. Think about Job for a minute. Okay? What did God say about His man Job? When, he, when, when the Satan came up and was in the council of heaven, God said, why don't you check out my man, Job? Job was the richest man in the East at that time. All right, So wealth did not prevent Job from having a very close walk with God. And uh, let's talk about that then. True or false? Money is the root of all evil. False. What is true? The love of money. So what's the difference between money and the love of money? Priorities? I'm not saying there's one specific answer. I want to hear from you guys. How would you define what the love of money is? We put it before Jesus. Making it a God. Greed, absolutely. Exactly. Any other thoughts on that? Exactly. How many of you guys were at the... the um, main meeting last night. Was that powerful? I mean, isn't that really the point of wealth and riches to do what, uh, what Ron was talking about? Being a missionary, men who are very successful in business and continue to be successful, they're saying, I'm going to use those funds to advance the, the work of the gospel. Um, let's talk about the last one. Let's see if we can... Uh, I'm trying to remember all the words in this one. I think I do. Whoever, anyone, loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is vanity, meaningless. Exactly. It was the uh, Ecclesiastes I wrote that. So here's something interesting. When we talk to people in general, if you were to ask someone, do you make enough money? What do you think the answer is? No. no. Do you want to know how much more they want to make? On average, 20%. Anyone at any time in their life, if you said, hey, would you like to make more money? Yes, I really wish I could make 20% more than what I have right now. Do any of you here own a boat? Canoe, fishing boat, whatever. All right. What size is it? 18 foot. You ever talk to someone, oh, man, I, I wish I had a 20 footer. <laughs> okay. In boating, they call it two foot-itis, right? Whatever size boat you have, you want something two feet bigger. And it's the same with money. Whoever we're talking to in general, hey, whatever income I have, I wish I was making 20% more. And we're told it's meaningless. All right. Uh, when I work at a, a lock shop company, and very rarely we sell safes, but when we sell a safe, we generally tell people, it's like, whatever you figure you're doing, 20% more. Get a 20% bigger safe. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That all, that all pulls right together. Yep, for sure. 
All right, let's go on. Uh, a couple other things we'll talk about here. What subject did Jesus speak the most about? Money. That's a trick question. Actually, he didn't speak about money most. The number one thing that Jesus talked about is the kingdom of heaven. But number two was money. So we would expect that he would talk about the kingdom of heaven, would we not? That's where he came from. That's where he, wants, he was going to go back and he wanted to bring us. Jesus talked more about money than any other subject except for the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, of the approximate 40 parables in the Bible, almost blank. Anyone want to take a guess? Half, exactly, are directly about money and blank of the others include references to money. Most. So half of all the parables that Jesus talked about were specific about money. Most of the other ones included a reference about money. Jesus understood the connection between spirituality and finances. And it was also something that we can all relate to. I'll talk about that here in just a minute. This is the one I think is the most important, at least for this morning. Jesus' concern about money was not having money is bad. He is concerned about human nature. Money and wealth often cause a poverty of, well, I guess, character. The problem with money is not money itself. I often think about, um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, um, music in the church, and that's always a subject, that's always an issue. Um, you did not play a guitar in church. Right? Anyone else remember those days? Now here's a question. Is a guitar inherently evil or sinful? No. At the time, how was it typically used? Right. So, by association, we said we, we, we don't want to allow that. Money is the same thing. Money in and of itself is neutral. The problem is what happens to us when we have it. The real issue is us. The real issue is not money, it's us. But because it's human nature and it happens so often, God is very careful about wanting to make sure that we have the right attitude. And I want to talk about a couple things here. Why is money such a big deal biblically and in our lives? And, and there's three things here. Money is the most tangible expression of our current spiritual condition. You know, a lot of times we'll talk about stewardship and giving your tithes and offerings, and people will say, why is that such a big deal? And one of the things I've thought of is this. There are a lot of things that God asks us to do. Okay? Love your neighbor, forgive, you know, the list goes on. Most of those we understand, but how easy is it to measure? If I have an enemy, how do I measure if I love him or her? You know what I'm saying? How do I really know? Have I truly forgiven them or not? Most of the things that God talks about doing uh, are difficult to measure finitely. Money can be measured finitely. There's no question. If we talk about tithe and you're honest about what you make and you're honest about what you pay the tithe, you know within about 10 seconds whether you're giving a faithful tithe or not. All right? Money gives us the opportunity, and the second one, money is an exact index to a man's true character. One of the things I had the opportunity when I was with J.P. Morgan, uh, we would handle trusts, and a lot of times... 
you know, mom and dad would pass away. They would leave behind a trust for their kids. The kids didn't get the money up front. They would get a certain amount of money. In some cases, they would get the income as long as they lived. And then when they died, their kids would get whatever was left over. Um, it's interesting. We talked about how at that time I said, I think money changes people. I remember one guy, uh, there were a uh, husband and wife. Uh, they d didn't have kids. They adopted two boys. Uh, one of them went off to Vietnam War, was killed. The other one stayed behind. Uh, the good one stayed behind. That'll make sense here in just a minute. Dad died, and the son expected to get the inheritance then. And he didn't. And we were told very specifically by good people that he was so upset that he went to the grave and urinated on it. Okay? And we talked about, uh, we used to talk about money may not be worthwhile because we, we would see that pattern. That was an uh, extreme. But you would see that where, where kids would say, I deserve this, some kind of sense of entitlement, and they were bitter and angry and upset. And we were like, if, it's not worth it. But I came to the conclusion that I don't think that money changes people nearly as much as money reveals who we are. That issue was already in that young man's heart. And it just happened to come out. It comes out very easily with money. Now, I'm not saying that money can't change people. I have a tendency to believe that it changes slowly over time. And it can happen. But there's already the issue at the heart. And that's why I, I like that quote, money is an exact index to a man's true character. Money speaks the hard language of real life. In other words, if we want to know what's really going on in our life, look at our money. Look at what we're doing with our money. Our money will tell us who we are. And so that's why I think it's very important to have the right mindset for what we're doing and then follow the right steps. Uh, one of the things that this might be a little bit difficult to see here, there's a quote from um, Lao Tzu, I don't even know his name, but he says, this is up at the top there on the, on the right, if you correct the mind, the rest of your life will fall into place. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you correct your mind, the rest of your life will fall into place. A lot of times we try to change things, but we haven't changed our mind. That's why I want to spend some time on that this morning. We can talk for a whole week about some great things or a whole month, but if we haven't changed our mind, we're probably not going to be successful. The Bible, more importantly, tells us the same concept in Romans 12 too. It says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. See, God knows that the first step for us is, to, it, whether it's the heart of the mind, to change what's going on here. And when we change what's going on up here, our actions change and follow. Financially, it's the same thing. We need to change our thought process with finances. Uh, and then we're going to find a lot of these other steps will fall into place very, very easily. So I'm going to take a stop, a, a breath for a second. Um, just in case you guys are feeling like you're drinking out of a fire hose. So, any questions or comments? Let's just take a couple of minutes at what we've gone through. This is the smartest class I've ever taught. Go ahead. You can relate to your topic to all the people that you, know, you always think, oh, if I just win a million dollars, if I won the lottery, and how many people have won that and wasted it and committed suicide? The suicide rate, that's a great point. Um, the suicide rate for people who have won the lottery is off the chart. And I would say, I think they've said 90 95% of the people who win the lottery within five years are in worse financial condition than they are today, before that. 
Winning the lottery is not a solution to financial problems. And here's what typically happens. People will win the lottery. They're not used to financial management. Okay? Most of them go out and buy big ticket items, big homes, big cars, all this kind of stuff. Every one of the things that they tend to buy are a drain to their finances. And when they're all said and done, uh, they can't even afford the taxes on the home because they spent all the money on things that they didn't need to spend it on. And so they get to the end, and now it, for most of their life, up until that point, and here's what's key, no matter how thing, bad things were, they always had the hope, if I just win the lottery. Okay? What do you do when you've won the lottery and it didn't work? There's nowhere to go. There's no hope. Because they put their hope in the wrong place. They put their hope in money, and they didn't solve the problems that probably had gotten them there in the first place financially. So that's a great point. And that's why money isn't the solution. Money isn't bad, per se. We've talked about that. But money isn't the solution to our problems. I'll actually talk about that uh, a little bit on Wednesday. Um, what I want to talk about is this. So the Bible tells us this, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace, Luke eleven twenty two. 22. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about cybersecurity. Um, I was out uh, periodically, three, four times a year, have the option to go to some type of uh, wealth or investment conference. Um, I was just in New York City last week with J.P. Morgan. I, we do a lot of work with them. Uh, they assist with some of the asset management. And they had a very specific segment for about an hour and a half talking about cybersecurity. And before we, uh, before we talk about all the tools that we can use later this week to be successful, one of the first things we have to do is we have to guard our money. And I was thinking about this, um, you know, a lot of times, again, our concept is, well, if we're spiritual, God will take care of that. God will watch over us. I don't have to worry. And I will never minimize that. So please, please understand where I'm coming from. We, we, we cannot do this on our own. We need God's help. God is the source of all security. Okay. But I want you to remember the story of Esther. If you remember the story of Esther, the issue is, that Haman gets the king to issue a decree saying that on this date, we can destroy the people of God and we can take all of their possessions. And the whole rest, almost the whole rest of that book is the struggle of what is Esther going to do? How do I do this the right way? And in the end, the solution is the king says, the people of God can stand up against those that are trying to plunder them and destroy them. We need that same attitude today, okay? The world is bent on financial destruction of us. Not just us as Christians, anyone, but in particular, I would tell you that the devil is intent on destroying us financially because if he can destroy us financially, then we're in a far worse place. Uh, uh, I don't want to say necessarily spiritually, but it's far more difficult and we have a tendency to lose faith, all right? There is nothing unspiritual about saying, I'm going to protect the assets that God has given me. So we're going to talk about that uh, here for just a little bit. What I'm going to do is hand out some information, um, and then we'll, we'll go through this. There's more than enough of those. Um, the first thing I want you to understand uh, is this. When it comes to cybersecurity, and I'm not an expert on this, by the way. I'm not a technology expert. Uh, I am careful and cautious by nature, but I am certainly not an expert on this. But this is what I'm going to tell you in terms of what I know. Number one, every device on the internet can be hacked. 
every single device can be hacked. Um, hackers, they can create clones of well-known websites, capture your personal information. Um, one of the things that's interesting about hacking, by the way, uh, is I'll tell you that hackers are smart people, not just because they know technology, but like anyone who's mildly intelligent, you always go to the weakest spot. Am I right? If you're going to attack your enemy, do not attack them where they have all of their forces concentrated. You attack where there's gaps. Um, anyone want to guess where the weakest gap is in our homes? The Internet? Where specifically? Passwords is a great one, but even more specific than that. Emails? It's our kids' phones. Okay? If hackers want to get to my clients at work, you know how they're going to do that? They're going to start by getting through the kids' phones. Because kids inherently are not thinking about security. They can get into the kids' phones. They can get into the home router. They can get into the home router. They might be able to access my phone if they can access my phone. And then I'm using that at work. Now they've got access to my clients. Okay, that's how hackers are thinking. So what we need to do is be thinking about where are the weakest links in our homes to, in order to protect that. We're going to talk about emails. We're going to talk about passwords. Uh, those are all really, really good stuff. Um, let me just make sure I'm not getting too far ahead of myself here. Um, a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, your information, your personal information, is probably already out on the dark web. All right? So when we think about security, we need to understand that it's almost impossible for that information not to be out there in some manner. So we have to make sure that what information is out there is very, very difficult for people to piece together because what they're trying to do is they can get six, eight, ten pieces of information. All of a sudden, now they have a picture. We don't want them to have a picture. One, one out of ten pieces of information doesn't help them. So if we can avoid the other seven or eight or nine, then we're doing something that's really valuable. Um, the other thing, by the way, uh, hackers are not always teenagers in hoodies sitting in a basement. Okay? That's the mindset that we have. Entire nations are involved in this. Okay, you've got a, the, all the resources of a nation, rogue nation, that are attempting to infiltrate and get personal information in order to um, get access to our financial data. Um, it's also a criminal network. Again, we know that it's, it's criminal to do these things. Uh, but it's not, again, just some kid in a hoodie. It is entire networks where you have layers of, um, I don't know if you call it teams, but you know, one gr group or set of people, what they do is they just like, get this data and then they sell it to someone else. That group then does something. It's not necessarily that, that they, there's one person that's organized this whole thing, but there's different steps to this whole process. And people say, hey, there's a need in one of those steps. I'm going to fill the need. So this is a very significant, very sophisticated criminal network uh, that's going on. Hackers get information and they sell it. Who mentioned emails as, a, as an issue? 40% of all hacks come from emails. So you are right on with that. That's a big, big deal. Um, once someone hacks an email, the next information is to attach that to a phone number. And if they can get those two items together, oftentimes they can start working on things like bank accounts, et cetera. So anything that we can do, we'll talk about this in emails, uh, and I'm guilty of this, in the past at least, 
Never have your name on your email. We'll talk about emails. In order for someone to hack you, there's two things they need. They need to know where you live, and they need to know how to get into your house. Your email is where you live. Your password is how to get into the house. If they don't know where you live, they're not even going to try to get in. So what we need to do is we need to make emails, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, very difficult uh, for hackers. Um, we're all under a profile, somewhere between the numbers of one to five. The more information you have on someone, the higher the number. Don't be a three, four, or five. Fours and fives, they're going to they're gonna get your information like that. We need to be ones or twos. Um, and the, some of the things I'm going to talk to you guys about and the information that you have there will, will be helpful with that. Um, talk about emails then. The more emails you have, the more difficult it is for someone to hack. Um, how many of you here use your business email as your email address primarily? Anyone? I do. Okay, scary thought. I, don't, I have a personal email somewhere. I think I've got a Gmail account. I don't ever go to it because I have to like go into the internet, pull up Gmail, look at that. That's a waste of time. I'm at work. Emails are always up, right? So I use that. Guess what is my email address? James at Abbott.biz. Someone can look up Abbott. It's Abbott Management. They're, hey, I've got a picture of Jim. They already know who I am just by having captured my email address. If I'm running personal stuff through that, which I do, from time to time, I'm now at risk. So if you have a business email address, keep that for business purposes only. Um, never have any type of your name or age on your, uh, on your, on your email address. Okay, Jim51. <laughs> that's, that's not really helpful. Uh, I mean, it's really helpful for the hackers. It's, it's not good for us. Um, this is a small tip. Any of you uh, organize all your information in your sent folder? Like whatever you're sending out, you just keep there because then if you need to track anything, it's all in your sent folder. Guess the number one place that, that hackers go in your email? Send. Why? Exactly. So what's the difference? Why wouldn't they just look at all the information that's coming to me? Exactly. The stuff that comes to me, I don't control. I could get 200 emails a day and I might only read three of them, but if I respond to one of them, a hacker knows that one's important. And now he knows something about me and he knows something about the person that I'm sending the information to. So clear out your sent folder. Uh, don't let that be, um, don't let that be a uh, filing cabinet for you. Um, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I've got, they make fun of me at work. I'm, I'm mildly um, organized. Okay, obsessive-compulsive. Yeah, my wife would agree with that too. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, and part of this is, is not actually my personality. It's training. Like when I was at, at the bank working, we had by law and by practice, we had to keep track of everything. If anything came up, we had to be able to go back and say, this is the email that I sent specifically. So we kept track of every single email. Well, most things that I have, okay, I've got a, you know, 40 or 50 categories, and if I send out an important email, that's back into my, that's what you're talking about. So now that's categorized with, uh, let's go back to J.P. Morgan. There was something going on, goes back to my J.P. Morgan folder, um, or it goes back to um, 401k folder, or whatever it is. So 
when you do that, uh, yeah, you're, you're taking, see, hackers are looking for the simplest, easiest, most economical, fastest way to get information and move on, okay? If we can make it difficult, they're probably gonna move on to an easier target. You guys know the story? Two guys walking in the woods and a bear came out, and one guy bent over and he started tying his shoes, and the guy was like, what are you doing? Or he's putting tennis shoes on, you can't outrun the bear. He says, I don't have to, I just have to outrun you, <laughs> all right? It's the same thing with security. We may not ever be able to do everything to insulate, but let's make ourselves really hard targets, and they're gonna move on to someone else. Um, a couple of other thoughts then as we're going through this. Uh, oh, an email address, don't use your cable company as your email address. Again, I'm, I've been guilty of that in the past. Go to Gmail, and, and you guys who are tech savvy, there's a lot of places you get emails. Don't use charter.net. Uh, it's just, it's not nearly as secure. Um, email addresses are free. They are actually recommending that you have four of them. Um, and here's why. Number one, have a different e email for anything related to your kids. Okay? You want, you want your kids to be very difficult to find. Uh, number two, um, they were talking, I was looking for the, if I had the notes on this. Anything that's related to um, personal, including, how many of you here have smart appliances where you can access, okay. A lot of times you have smart appliances and that's linked to a email, okay? You want that totally separate from how you do things like banking, how you do things at work. You, you, you want, again, to segregate your life. If you do uh, online purchases, you want an email address just for that. And those email addresses are um, iloveRunningInTheRain.com. Okay, no one's going to know who you are with that kind of email address. So you want email addresses that are very, very nondescript. Uh, dogs are my favorite pet. No one knows who you are. Um, Jim works at Abbott. That's, that's pretty easy to find out. Okay. Never use the names of yourself, your kids, your pets ever in that. Uh, and by the way, most fraud that happens is a human problem, not a technology problem. When we hear about these breaches where, you know, uh, you know, 500 or 5 million, 500 million data pieces, at some point there was a human element that failed, not the technology. That's why we have to build these, uh, these walls for it. Uh, passwords. Uh, very important. Hackers can crack two-thirds of all passwords. Anyone want to know what the number one password is? Password. <laughs> okay, okay. When someone gets our email address or something, we're, they can run through a list one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D. Um, it's amazing, and they've got computer programs that are calculating this stuff. If they know a little bit of information on you, they're putting it all together, and they can crack two thirds of all passwords. Um, they talked about something called password manager, where you actually have a program on your phone that will constantly be changing your password out at the site. And for you, I don't understand all that. I will tell you it's very successful. So if you look into that, it's a great tool for you uh, to manage your passwords. I happen to have, a, um, every site that you go to should have a different password, by the way. And I have on my phone, like a password keeper, and I have every single 
website or whatever I go, you know, there must be 60 of these. And everyone has, and it's, oh, what is it today? So you have to go in and you have to look at it. Uh, but that's much safer. And there's a couple of them that are the same, but I will tell you that um, the one for my online banking is very different than any other password. If someone finds my password to get into consumer power or consumer energy, all right, what are they really going to do with that? I don't want that same password at Michigan Gas Utilities is when I go to my online banking. So change those up. Um, any username and password that kids know will be used on any site that they set up. So do not give your kids passwords of yours. Uh, never have a website remember your password. Have you gone there where it says, do you want to me to remember you? Never have them remember that because now your computer, if that's hacked, now knows your password. So just across the board, never have it remember. I know it's hard. Folks, think about how we lived before we had technology. We actually had to remember things. Let's try to get back to that. All right. Um, a secure home network requires a secure router. I don't know if you know this, you can put malware on a home router. So your router at home is exposed. So traffic coming through your home router, kids are going online with stuff, infects the router, now you're using that. Hey, I'm at home using, anytime you have an opportunity by, and I'm talking mostly about cell phones here. If you have an opportunity to use the cell service or cellular data rather than a Wi-Fi, do it in a heartbeat. It's far more secure. You do not want to be using it. And that brings up uh, one of the other subjects I want to talk about briefly. Um, unsecured, insufficiently secured wireless networks. Uh, one of the biggest problems that you should be suspicious of is any public Wi-Fi. All right? It is so easy to walk into Starbucks and sit down with your phone and turn on hotspot, and you can create a Wi-Fi network right there and you can call it Starbucks One, and people log in, they don't have to use a password because you're not making them use a password. And so everything that they're doing is coming through your phone or your computer, maybe you're just sitting there in the corner and it looks like you're a coffee guy you know, studying, right? And, and uh, they were talking about, someone did this, it happens all the time, by the way. Someone did it within one minute, they had 12 people on there, they did it for five minutes, and they had access to all kinds of financial data. Because people go on to unsecured networks and they type in their password, they open up their bank accounts, uh, and it's amazing. Um, someone was doing it on an airplane. Because you know there's Wi-Fi on an airplane, right? Uh, so they, I, I don't know, the, the, let's just call it, it was uh, um, Delta, it, not Delta Sky, but you know, let's call it again, Delta One. They're flying on Delta, it really wasn't, but I can't remember the flight. And so they, they did the same thing. They sent out this hotspot. Someone was doing their electronic banking online through that Wi-Fi. When they landed, the hacker had already wiped out $300,000 of their account. And because they weren't actually technically on there, uh, on, the, on the real network, um, any alerts didn't come through. So they, they had no idea what was going on. Just like that, it was wiped out. So be very, very suspicious of public Wi-Fi. Um, do not use it unless it's absolutely necessary. And I would tell you, don't use it for financial transactions. 
Um, if your router is older than two years old, throw it away. Uh, the other thing they talked about is have two networks on your router at home. Uh, one, that in, in, this is for kids and guests, but it's not called kids and guests. It's, you give it a real name. Um, I don't know, again, you shouldn't use names, but uh, you know, Happy Farm Wi-Fi. Okay? Give the kids the password. Guests come, hey, uh, we're staying for the night. Uh, can, we, can we use your, your Wi-Fi? Oh, absolutely. But then you have a sec second Wi-Fi network that does not show up. So no one knows it's there. And that's the one that the uh, parents, adults, or whatever use. And you have much more control over the security. Because you don't know, I mean, I'm, we're not assuming that everything that kids do is bad. We're not assuming that everything that guests do is bad. But our finances, our cybersecurity is only as strong as the very weakest part. And if we can't control that, we want it in a place where we don't have to worry about it. Does that make sense? All right. Um, oh, here's another one. How many of you have uh, Wi-Fi for your printer? You know that hackers can get into your system through your printer? So again, I'm not a technology expert. I can't tell you exactly what to do or how that happens. I'm just telling you, they can get into us through our printers, through our smart refrigerators, you name it. They'll find a way to do it. So we just have to be very, very... Um, cognizant and cautious about what is happening. We talked about public Wi-Fi as a bad place. Um, here was something really interesting. How many of you have an Apple phone? Okay, would you guys get that out a minute? I didn't write this down, so I don't know if I'm going to do it right. I want you guys, don't turn it on. I want you to leave it, uh, not turned off, but uh, secured. Is that it? So the phone's on, but it's secure, right? How do you, how do you uh, get Siri to answer you um, when the phone is secure? You just push the button. I, I want you to ask, say, Siri, who am I? May not, may not work as well here. There, when your phone is on secure, in other words, hey, I've got a password. People can't get into my phone, right? What's that? She knows. Okay. All right. Yeah, she knows. And your phone was locked, secured, right? Okay, there are probably 40 or 50 commands that Siri can answer when your phone is locked. Siri, who was the last person I talked to? Siri, who was the last text I sent to? Someone gets a hold of your phone and it's locked, they can get all kinds of information on you. She can call anyone in your contact list. That should worry us, all right? We don't want Siri telling people who have our phone all about our life. And I don't remember exactly how they went through the progression, but it is possible in some cases for them actually to be able to access personal information about us that gives them information that they can then go out. And my big thing for, for this week is financial security, and it puts our finances at risk. So you, what you want to do, and I don't have all the steps, I'll try to remember it if you guys come tomorrow, is we need to go back through and we need to make sure that our phones, our computers, our emails, our passwords, things are secure, and we can turn that feature off, by the way. Um, oh, here's, a, here's one. Siri, where do I live? She'll answer the question. Physical address. By the way, do you know how she knows where you live? Uh, it's the place that you go to most often. Oh, no, because when I get off work, it'll say you have 
Yes. Every day. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. Yeah. A little scary. Technology is a wonderful thing, and we're never going to go back to where we don't have it. Okay, that's not the point. Although, think about it, you know, 30, 40 years ago, wasn't life really kind of nice and simple? Um, we're never going to go back to that. So what we need to do is we need to figure out how to use technology, which, by the way, is the same as money. It's not inherently evil or good. It's how it's used. Technology, unfortunately, has been misused in bad ways for so much that we have to protect ourselves against that. And so I want to encourage you, um, I th you turn off, if you go to settings, and I don't remember, I'll, I'll try to remember this tonight, and we can talk about it tomorrow. You can turn off that feature so that Siri isn't tracking everywhere. You can go out there and say, and you can pull up, what are the 10 last locations I was at? It'll be right there. And Android, I think, does similar. Um, it'll tell you, and it'll tell you exactly when you were there when you walked in the front door and when you walked out. So our phones know a ton of information about us that we have no idea. Uh, and by the way, is that for our benefit? It's not. They were very specific. That's for Apple's benefit. Yeah, you can't, there are some things we can do that turn off a lot of that tracking. And what you want to do is, is you want to be, not, not invisible, but um, you, want, you want these systems to know as little as possible about you simply because that information doesn't need to get out to everyone. The more information people have on us, the more uh, at danger and at risk we are. So just turn off a lot of those features and disable, and it's fairly easy to do. Yes? We may very well have to throw our phones in the lake. Exactly. Um, let's get back to passwords for just a couple of minutes. Passwords are your first line of defense. All right, I know there's some information that I passed out. Um, Here's one password example, Rover. Rover's the name of my dog, right? It's not. Sarah knows that I love dogs, but I just have a hard time having one. Uh, so guess how easy it is to break that or hack it? Instantly. Instantly hackers uh, can get access to that. Um, let's change that and let's make it Rover with a zero instead of an O. So it's R0VER. Instantly, they'll hack that. Uh, Rover 12, instantly. When you start adding things, though, and I know this is a little hard to see, you've got at Rove3RL2. Now we're talking about a minute or two. Uh, but what they're recommending, use a phrase or an acronym instead of a word. All right? Um, one of the great ones here they had is the number two, the letter B capitalized, then the word or, not, where N was capitalized, the number two, capital B, then an underscore, the word that, capitalized T, is the, and then question mark. To be or not to be, that is the question. Okay? It'll take a, a, you know, five seconds to type that up, 100 years to hack that. All right, is it worth 100 years of protection to spend four or five seconds typing a password? I happen to think that it is, and I think it's worthwhile. Um, another thing you can do is you can create a password root and use it across all accounts. So you could say rover underscore and then add something else for one account, rover underscore something else for a different account, as long as you keep changing that from place to place. So it, it, the problem isn't that there's a root. The 
problem is that you use that password in all your locations and you definitely don't want to do that. Um, you can also get password management tools that help with, uh, with that as well. And again, the handout that you guys have is going to list, actually I think that on page one, 10 things that you can do. And I encourage you, I know, you know this is a lot of information. I'm trying to give you the highlights in about 25 minutes of what they gave us in an hour and a half from someone that really knew what they were talking about. All right, I'm just giving you the cliff notes. Um, let's re review those real quick, and then we're going to spend a little time on Q&A. Never click on a link in an email until you validate the source. Okay, you get an email and there's a little box, hey, open me. How many of you here would open it? Here's my favorite one. A box pops up and says, your computer has been compromised. Click here for the solution. All right, how many think that's legitimate? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. That happened to me and I was like almost ready to click it. Of course, this was years ago. Uh, use antivirus software and keep it up to date. Very important. Limit web usage in the office to core business-related sites. Because again, if they can act, it's two things. They're trying to get to me to get to the business, but they're also getting to the business to get to me. So we need to be very careful. And most businesses, the goal is to keep it business-oriented anyway, right? Uh, limit your web usage to the office, or we talked about that. Make minimal use of unsecured public networks. Again, it's not that you can't use them, but don't use them for anything important. And keep in mind that if you're using it, I always think, what's the worst case scenario? It's possible that they're accessing information on my phone, not just that they're getting information from what I'm doing right there. And I don't care if they know that I'm reading Fox News. That's not a big deal. I don't care if they know that I'm checking the stock market or the weather. Who cares, right? But I don't want them to know what I'm going to be doing an hour from now when I've, like, I've got to do some online banking. That's the part that worries me. Uh, create strong passwords and change them every two to three months. How many of you here have changed your password in the last two to three months? Good for you. I haven't. Okay. Some of them I do. I have one, one that I access for most of our clients' accounts. I have to change that every 30 days. And we talk about it. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I hate this. Why haven't they improved technology so it's all secure? Look, the idea is you can never be too secure. Uh, do not use the same password for multiple accounts. Create separate email accounts for work, personal use. This was the other one. I'm sorry, I forgot about it. Alert notifications. How many times are you getting alerts from places? Have that go to a separate one. It doesn't have anything to do with your work. doesn't have anything to do with your personal. Um, alert notifications, other interests. At home, set up a primary network and another for guests. And be prudent in what you share about yourself and your job via social media. All right? Don't send your credit card. All right? Don't email people your social security number. All right? All that stuff can be hacked. Again, a lot of that information is out on the dark web, but, but if they're going to get it, make them work for it. All right? Let's not make their job any easier. Yes? Email is very unsecure. There was uh, one of the jobs I had, we had to send uh, everything encrypted and with a password to open up the encryption on the other end. And uh, we've got to, like, we have to take client information very, very seriously. Because you've got account numbers. Some of it might have social security numbers. Uh, but yeah, emails, thank you for that. They are very unsecure. So never send out important information through an email. Let's see if there's anything else here. 
All right, let's just kind of recap. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I keep getting a lot of times with a lot of calls for different things. Sometimes they say, oh, your computer is involved with anything. Or somebody's dropping a phone wrong language on this. And, you know, I've gotten uh, phone calls before. Too. I mean, I've gotten also a number that you can call, supposedly, to put a stop to these. However, it doesn't seem to work very well. Do you have any suggestions on what kind of a phone number to use to try to put a stop to all these calls? Oh, you're talking about just people calling out of the blue? Well, I'm talking about, you know, like somebody said, well, your insurance or something, your computer. I would be suspicious of any phone call that, that's just a, anything, um, it's a phishing, yeah, you have phishing through your email, that's where they send you something saying, oh, you know, you, there's some problem, you need to click here. Phone calls, anything like, by the way, anyone here gotten a phone call from the IRS? Okay, don't you love that one? It's, it's a recorded voice. The cops will be coming to take you into custody shortly. So the first time I get it, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, what? Um, the IRS will never call you. They will never, ever call you. Anything that you get regarding the IRS in a phone call is automatically fraud. They will always mail you a letter, all right? First, there may be conversations with them, that is correct. Sound like a man with experience. <laughs> you do have to supply your phone number on the IRS phone. Yes, you do. That's correct. That's correct. But they will, so if anyone gets a phone call like that, so that, I don't know how to turn that off because those are fishing expeditions that they're going to just keep trying. And the problem is, once, uh, you know, the sense is once someone answers a cell phone, oh, that's a live number. I can use that. And they'll just, they'll keep trying. And their goal is, it's computer generated. No one's having to go through the effort. So can they wear us down over time? All right, we're going to take the last uh, 10 minutes. Um, let's just kind of review what we've talked about here today. Number one, when it comes to finances, it all starts with the right mindset. Um, I love this phrase, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I think we can. I'm hoping all of you think that same thing. We're going to talk about some great things. Today's been much more cerebral, uh, theoretical. We're going to get into some really practical stuff here over the next couple of days. Um, but let's get in the right mindset where we say we can do this. This will be beneficial. Uh, money is the most tangible expression of our current spiritual condition. Again, you want to know where we're at spiritually? Whether we agree with this or not, I, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of like uh, algebra. You guys remember algebra back in school? One, one of the things our teacher, my teacher used to talk about, we would say, I don't get it, I don't get it. You know, all these formulas and stuff. And he said, look, don't try to understand it. Just accept it. All right? That's the only way you get, I got through algebra. Okay, you just accept it. I don't know why, but this is how it works, and so you do it. We may have trouble with this phrase but it, we need to accept it. Money is the most tangible expression of our current spiritual condition. If you want to know what's important to us, all we have to do is look at money. How do we handle money? Uh, and then the last one that we spent the, you know, the last 20, 25 minutes, guard your own palace to keep your goods in peace. That's a biblical concept. God invites us to protect what he's given to us. Because originally, keep in mind, everything that we have, God gave us, right? There's not one thing that we've really earned on our own. 
Because even the stuff that we worked for, God gave us the breath and the energy. We could do nothing without Him. So what God has entrusted to us, He's asking us to guard as well. And let's be very, very careful with that. Uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the biblical text, Romans 12.2, talking about our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So let's end with a word of prayer uh, right now. Dear God, we're so thankful for the wisdom that you've given to us. We recognize that um, there's so much that you brought to us that affects our spiritual life, not only in this life, but in the life to come again, where we want to spend eternity with you. But you've not neglected the practical matters, and one of them is our finances. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave today, uh, with all this information that we have, um, if we can just take one or two ideas that's been talked about, that is a practical application in our life to make our finances stronger, that what you've entrusted to us and given to us, we can use to your honor and glory. I uh, pray that you bless us now through the rest of the day. In Jesus' holy name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.